Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I am Steve Norman, joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Carol Petz. Hello. As we reviewed last week or so in film, including some big trailers for next year's big releases and a new release uh, this week in The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1. Um, but we'll start off, as always, with a quiz where Owen, I believe, is winning 2-1 at the moment against me. Yes, need this yes. is 2-1. What yes. is term, termed as squeaky bum time? <laughs> well... Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I am Steve Norman, joined by Owen Hughes Hello. and Carol Petz. Hello. As we reviewed last week or so in film, including some big trailers for next year's big releases and a new release uh, this week in The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1. Um, but we'll start off, as always, with a quiz where Owen, I believe, is winning 2-1 at the moment. Against me. Yes. Need this yes. is one. Yes. What is term termed as squeaky bum time? <laughs> well, is it? <laughs> is, that, is it not? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, are we ready? Yes. Right. So let's kick. I'm going to try and keep chronological actually. So let's kick off uh, with 2000 Beach. Well, it's not going to be Leonardo DiCaprio, but I'll say Owen Leonardo DiCaprio. It's not Leonardo DiCaprio. No. Steve. Yes. Is it Robert Carlyle? It's not going to be him, is it? He was in no. it, wasn't he? But it's, it's uh, not I think him. so. He was yeah, in it a bit, he, yeah. Isn't he the mad druggy guy who, like, dies? I can't remember. I read yeah. the book, and I, I remember thinking the book was much better than the film. But uh, anyway, no, it's not It's not either of them. So, um, Danny Boyle's tried to dis- disown the beach, hasn't he? He's sort of... He like, wants to try things that he said... Actually, I don't really have any connection to, you know, that sort of world, and I just made a film, and you know, he thinks it's actually a bit crap himself. So yeah, it would be a diff- it's a difficult book, I think, to to um mm. to, to add to the depth. Um, so next one is uh, two thousand one Vanilla Sky. Don't know. No, don't know. Alright, 2002, Adaptation. It would help if I'd seen The Beach. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen The Beach and I can't remember anyone other, like anyone big other than Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert Carlyle. I can't think of anyone else who was in that, um, except I think that maybe there was a black guy who I should recognise, but I can't. Nice. <laughs> yes, who, it's not, who was in it's Adaptation not... then? Meryl Streep. Yeah, it's Meryl Streep, Owen. Yeah, she was. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. That's, that's it, you've nailed it. Well done. <laughs> what film are we watching? She's the hippie one. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, where did I get to? Okay, uh, 2003, Young Adam. Hmm. He's tough. Young Adam. Young Adam. Yeah. No. No. I'm not even going to guess. No. Steve. 
No, no. All right. 2005, uh, Constantine. Or is it Constantine? I'm not sure. Constantine, I think. I've, seen, I've seen that. I've definitely seen it. Well, Keanu Reeves wasn't in. Are <laughs> you just like basically just saying the lead actors and hoping it's the lead actors? Yeah, anyone I can just sort of remember. I don't, no? I don't remember who else was in there. No, no. Okay. Say no for both of them. All right. Um, two thousand five, Broken Flowers. Never even heard of There's that. A lot of people in Broken Flowers. Uh, I do. So I'm going to go for another. <laughs> Bill Murray! It's not Bill Murray, is it? I can totally imagine him being on the, in the beach. <laughs> no, okay. no, it's not Bill Murray, no. Steve? Uh, I haven't even seen that film, so I'm not even going to get it. Alright, it might start to get a bit easier from here on in, actually. 2005, uh, Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe, Chronicles of Narnia. So, they're... Probably British. Um, I've seen the Narnia film. <laughs> Both uh, of them. Tilda Swinton, maybe? Yes, Tilda Swinton! <laughs> oh, <hey! laughs> Excellent. Well done. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, no, don't apologise yeah, apologize just yet. Apologise after you've picked the film for us to watch, and if it's shit, then apologise. Oh, no. Oh, God, yeah, because I right. remember what I did to Yeah, because I get to pick. Well, remember I picked well, a good film last time I won, or at least an interesting one. You picked, uh, yeah, this is an interesting film, Steve. I've, I've got, I've come prepared this week in case I did win. Um, <laughs> it is an interesting film, uh, but you're both going to have to watch Under the Skin. Oh yeah, I've been meaning to watch that. Um, I, okay. I think I'm going to about it because I actually have the book as well on my Kindle, and I was umming and ahhing about what about, about reading the book first and then watching the film. But it seems like okay. my mind has been made up for me, and I'll yeah, have to well, watch the film first. Yeah, well, you can read the book in under a week. Speed read it. Yeah. I don't know how long is it. <laughs> I, I could maybe do the that. The film is. I don't know how long the book is, but the film's about an hour and forty, I think. So it's not a massive epic length film. But Steve, it is a bit weird. That's fine. I'm just pulling that out there. It's that's, a bit strange. That's fine. Just okay. Carol, read the book. Just read the first chapter, the middle three chapters, and the last chapter, and the you'll last be fine. <laughs> the last page. That's, 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 that's generally. It probably won't be with under the. No, that's, that's generally how I read books, and it's never done me wrong so far. Is that how you're reading the Harry Potter ones right now, simultaneously watching the films? I've I've never watched the second one. I don't even want to talk about it. It's just <laughs> <laughs> if. I could watch Star Wars again, though. That's the, that's the thing. Now we've watched two Harry Potters, I could watch Star Wars, one of them. Is that is that the deal? It, we've come up with a structure because there's more Harry Potters than Star Wars. I don't even I want to watch. I don't even want to watch the prequels. <laughs> I'm just going to give them my. I'm just going to tell the backstory of, of what happens in the prequels. And... Can, can I tell you an interesting fact? Actually, I learned this, and I don't think I've dropped into conversation on the on the podcast yet. But it is related, sort of, to the. To the, uh, like the bogey films that well, the last film I made you watch, there was more. Um, the principal photography on the room is longer, was longer, six months than the principal photography for episode seven. That's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We worked it out. It's about two weeks longer. And maybe that—that's a—that's a top knowledge. What, that's what for? Knowledge, uh, what? What? Why? 
Because it's a work of art and art takes time, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's some, uh, that's some, that's some big knowledge. <laughs> mm. While we're on Star Wars, we'll neatly segue into, into the news. Uh, we've had two big trailers out for what's going to be two of the biggest films of next year. Um, we've had trailers for Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Awakens, and Jurassic World. Um, but they're, they're not really trailers, though. That's kind of. I don't know. I'd, I'd say Jurassic World's definitely a trailer. Star yeah, Wars Star, Star Wars Seven is a teaser. Uh, Jurassic World is definitely a trailer because there's a good bit of plot in there as well. Yeah. Star Wars yeah, is essentially just a load of, of bits jumbled together like a bit of a kitchen sink. These are the bits that we've finished. Just, like, throw them at the screen. Yeah. Here, are some, <laughs> here are some new people um, that you don't know yet but are going to be important. Here's a cool-looking lightsaber from A Man in the Hood, and here's a Millennium Falcon. There you go. Job done. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's and worked, hasn't it? Because everyone's yeah, talking about it. It has worked, and it was really good and really promising. And they mixed the old stuff with the new stuff well. You thought Jurassic World could go down the same track, not even thrown in the music. You would have thought that would have come no, out, wouldn't you? It, it was well, like, the music... It is there. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like really... piano. Yeah. No, try to do it on yeah. a recorder or something. <laughs> <laughs> my my favourite rendition of the Jurassic Park... Um, Jurassic Park theme is the people that play it on the harmonica. Have you ever seen that video on YouTube? Yeah, they play it? No. Like when they go over and he's like, Welcome to Jurassic Park, and it just and they just start off with the harmonica. It's just so funny. Cracks me up. F- film themes being done out of tune is just the funniest thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. The 2001 Space Odyssey just school children is just fantastic. It, I cry every time, I cry with yeah. every time I hear it. It's one of the best things ever. <laughs> it is. No, I wasn't. I wasn't particularly enamored with the Jurassic World trailer, to be honest. I was just. It's just a bit. Mm, I, I, I didn't really. I've heard a lot of people moaning about the effects. I didn't really notice the effects no. being being that bad. To be honest, I was well, more, well, the thing is, I was, the thing is, you can't get a real dinosaur, and you can't make anything what? up to look like a dinosaur. Like in like in Star Wars, they're building they're building sets. They sets. They built like a set of the Millennium Falcon. Like in the old Lord of the Rings films, they were dressing people up to look like orcs. You're going to have to use CGI to do a dinosaur. There's not really any other way around it, is there? Yeah, I was more well, disappointed that, about like, the hokey uh, dialogue. Was probably the biggest problem. Yeah. If I oh, thought you Chris, made I thought, something bad. I thought, yeah, but I thought Chris Pratt was pulling off the hokey dialogue fine. And then he trained a load of velociraptors by the look of the trailer. <laughs> well, one of the, the rumours that was arranged a while ago was that they were splicing dinosaur DNA to create super intelligent dinosaurs and you were going to have like characters in the film riding dinosaurs like like horses or whatever and it was that sounded to me like the worst rumour imaginable and then in that teaser you don't see anyone riding dinosaurs but you do see what looks like potentially good intelligent raptors trying to hunt down a giant evil raptor that's super intelligent and that just looks completely shit to me or maybe they're running away because the trailer says that they've they've made a new dinosaur haven't they mm. a, a, a raptorsaurus rex probably basically yeah. that's what probably <laughs> yeah. t-rex with long arms yeah. that's it that's the all the entire world's fucked yeah. <laughs> yeah just give it long arms opposable thumbs <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> we are all doomed. <laughs> it doesn't look like they've got any, like Stars, it doesn't look like they've got any of the original uh, cast back, does it? Well, they've got some sort of R2-D2 thing that just rolls along. It's, no, it's 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 so about Jurassic World still. They don't look like oh, right, any, any of the, any Goldblum or Sam Neill or anyone. No, they all wisely ducked out after the second one movie, didn't they? So, um... Well, yeah. what, both one of them was in the third one. Yeah, Sam, 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 Neil, Sam Neil was in the third one. Uh, with, oh, with, with, the, with, the, with the kid from the first one, the boy, who also, I think he was in that the Pacific as well. He um, so, yeah. Yeah, so he, like, he grew up from a child actor into a grown-up actor, didn't disappear or anything. Then he was in Jurassic Park 3. Because um, that's the one with the birds, isn't it? Yeah. Because that one is basically the last half or bits that they left out of the first book, plus the Lost World book. Yeah. That's what, yeah, okay. Yeah. And um, then it just ends. I remember that. And then it, the, the ending's yeah. really weird. Yeah, because... But it has some good bits in that film, though. It's, that's the one with the, the tall grass, stay out of the long grass, or whatever. I think that's two. Oh, is it? Oh, no, I can't remember them. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm fairly sure that's two. But they're really good. <laughs> two. Hustle fight, is he in is that it, one, or is he he's, in two? He's in two. Um, right, okay, so all the best bits I can remember yeah, are from the second one. Yeah. Vince Vaughn's two, in Yeah, two's got Vince Vaughn not doing a comedy role, which, which yeah. when you when you look back is a bit confusing, but that's like the first one I've ever seen him in, I think. Yeah, I think it's probably the best one I've ever seen him in. Not, not his earliest film that I've seen him in, but the first time I saw him in a film. Yeah. And then straight away forgot about him completely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was there was dodgeball, which was which was okay. Yeah, dodgeball's alright. Yeah, I think positive. If I had to, if I had a gun to my head and I had to choose a favourite Vince Vaughn film, I think dodgeball would probably be it. Dodgeball That's or it. wedding crashes? No, maybe. Not. Anchorman. Crashes. Yeah, but you can't really call Anchorman a Vince Vaughn film, can you? It's like the only appearance. That it's I've like seen it's it's it's, it's, it's like calling Zombieland a Bill Murray film, isn't it? Really calling Anchorman <gasps> Vince Vaughn film. <laughs> People have seen it by now. It's the funniest bit. That is a Bill Murray film. Actually, it turns into Bill Murray film for like ten minutes, and it's the funniest yeah. bit in the whole film. Um, yeah, anyway, Star Wars, Star Wars trailer. FIFA seems to have got in there with a with a robot of their own. <laughs> yeah, even Get in it. the future, Set Blatter is an evil. I mean, I know, no, I know, I know you don't like Star Wars, and I, I don't want to come across as a massive geek, but it's not in the future. You should know that. Oh, it's a long... Yeah, you sorry. It's a rookie mistake. Yeah. yeah. And I claim to know something about film, someone once said. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't get... I don't get the FIFA joke. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's the, 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 there's a robot that looks like a ball with a little head on it. Oh! In the Star Wars trailer. Oh, I see. Yes. Very good. Well, yeah. but you know, FIFA, you know, FIFA don't have exclusive domain over all football. Do, oh, yeah, wait, they do actually, don't they? Yeah, and now... So, uh, and it doesn't matter where it is, they'll go in and change the rules. Yeah. Yeah. You can and have Star Wars, but only if we can have beers. Yeah. You have to change your tax laws. Yeah. You can have the um, World Cup on tattooing, but you've got to have sons, because it's going to mess up our, our, our playing schedule. Put a load of advertising hoardings around the slums on tattooing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so... Um, but no, that looked, that looked like an exciting trailer. It looked interesting. It looked alright, actually. I'm not a big Star Wars fan, but yeah, I, was, I, I thought that was a better trailer than the Jurassic World one. Mm. 
mm-hmm. bit with the music was, was pretty awesome. JJ Abrams is not uh, his his weakness is not putting together a trailer though, is it? It's like um, no. Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder's weakness is not putting together a good trailer at all. It's actually filling it out into a proper film. Um, well, look, what he should have done in the what he should have done what he should have done in the trailer just as a teaser is the guy in the hood with the lightsaber with the things on the side pulls his hood down as Jar Jar Binks. It's a kids film. It's a kids film. He's a kids character, and anyone who, who actively hates him needs to have a long hard think about their lives. No, even kids, <laughs> even kids hated it. He's a dick. My brother's a big Jar Jar. Really? Yeah. He was like, well, he, he, he was only about one year old when the, when the first one came out, or, you know, the Phantom Menace came out. So, you know, that in a film, in a nearly three-hour film that's about um, political, like, discourses on trade blockades and that, Jar Jar Binks is, is somewhat light relief for a kid, you know, so, like, they're sitting there going, this is meant to be a kid's film. There's a massive, like, political debate going on. Oh, wait, here's a guy who speaks funny, so that's all right. That's how kids look at Josh Arbink. It's like in Game of Thrones, isn't it, for the adults, when all the serious political like intrigue and all the, the, the clashes between the clans and kings and stuff like that, and they go, oh, hang on a sec, people are going to get bored. Let's have this character take her top off, and then we'll have that one over there. <laughs> have his head locked off. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'll keep interest while we talk about the more serious Yeah. 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 Um, any other news? Um, uh, had... Only that Mike Nichols died. Yeah, it's quite sad. That's quite sad. It wasn't really until uh, this ha- this happens quite a lot actually. Weirdly enough, it wasn't until I heard that he died that I actually worked out how many of his films I've seen, uh, which is quite weird. I've, I've obviously directed The Graduate, which is probably his most famous film, and Catch Me Too, which I've not seen. I've, I've read the book and, and not seen the film. Um, but he's also directed uh, Working Girl, which I used to love that film. It's so it's so eighties, and uh, regarding Henry in the Birdcage, uh, which I think you were talking about uh, in our Robin Williams retrospective um, not very long ago, and um, Primary Colours. So and and Poser was um, one of his last films as well, which obviously did very well and got a lot of Oscar nominations for the for the acting, I think generally. But um, yeah, so a, a good a good body of work, a good solid body of work there. Yeah. Um, well, he's one of those directors as well. Like you mentioned, that you didn't really know he di- he did all those films. I think there was a there was a group of directors around sort of the mid eighties, nineties who were quite prolific and had their they had quite a, a large output and lots of popular films, but weren't really keen on promoting their own name with the films just because they thought the work should speak for itself. So there's a lot of films out there that he directed. Um, the people were suddenly, you know, as you listed off all those films, they're going, oh, I didn't realise it was him, because that's kind of the point. That was on purpose. Yeah. So, but, you know, his most famous film, I think, is probably The Graduate, um, with Dustin Hoffman, and, you know, it's been parodied a hundred million times, and from, you know, The Simpsons have done it, of course, because The Simpsons parody everything, but it is a fantastic film. One of the, my favourite films from the 60s as well. Um brilliant performances in it and it is really well directed and also it was the film that kind of introduced me to Simon and Garfunkel so I kind of thank Mike Nichols for that more than anything else to be honest <laughs> the soundtrack to, to The Graduates fantastic um, yeah and only other real piece of news we could find comes from TV 
Peter K is bringing back Phoenix Knights initially for um, a comic release special, and then maybe, perhaps, I think depending how it goes, there'd be a possibility of, of a live show or, or maybe even uh, a third series of the sitcom. Uh, anyone else a fan of this when it was out over ten years ago now? I think season two or series two finished or was aired. No, not really, yeah. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't I, I, I kinda I loved that I thought I it was great. Like it. Yeah. It, yeah, parts of it were great. I used to like the little um bits at the end where they did the talent show. Yeah. Just the little skit at the end of the credits was quite nice. But um and Dave Spikey, I used to quite like Dave Spikey around that time. I mean, some of the outtakes are as funny as the actual programme itself if you watch the extras on the DVD. Mm. Um, but it, it is really funny, and it's. I think Peter Kay gets a lot of stick because it's like a uh, 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 kind of bog-standard comedian who somehow got big because, you know, and rise on catchphrase. Because he remembers stuff. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't really have a catchphrase. There's a couple of things that come up in Phoenix Lights once that come up in his stand-up. The biggest problem was he re he re-released the same stuff in terms of his stand-up, you know, ad nauseum. Just kind of put out put out the the same material, the same gig, and jigged it around a bit, and passed off as something new, and it wasn't. Um, but yeah, generally, Phoenix Lights was very fun. I was surprised he's managed to get everyone back together though, like including Dave Spikey and is it Neil Fitzmaurice, his first name Neil, the one who the one who's in Peep Show as well. Um, yeah. as, um, as I Jeff and Daniel Kitson's not No, I don't think, don't think Daniel Kitson's returned. But no. Peter Kay pissed off everyone, basically. He even pissed off Harry McGuinness, I think. And they, he's managed to build bridges and get them all back somehow. Well, that's yeah, good for him on a personal level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he didn't write it all himself, despite what he may have, have claimed at times, but. Yeah, he certainly didn't write it all himself. It was a kind of a team effort, but mostly between him, Dave Spikey, and Fitzmaurice. But we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, hopefully it'll be good and not kind of let everyone down. Oh, I'm afraid to break it to you. I reckon it's probably going to be shit. <laughs> yeah, I've not I've not watched Phoenix Notes in a while, so I'm not sure how well it's aged. No, actually, I haven't either. Um... But, yeah, I don't know. Like you said already about Peter Kay, he just seems to rehash a lot of stuff. Yeah. Over and over. So, I won't hold out much hope for it. Mm, no, it's not. Anyway, uh, we're in part one there, and in part two, we've got what we've been watching. Part two, then, what we've been watching, where we have a look films we've seen in the last week uh, Carol has watched uh, Guardians of the Galaxy for what is probably the probably double figures now I imagine <laughs> no no it's only the um, it's only the fourth time we let, let, let's not forget we know people that went to the cinema to see it over 20 times can I just point exactly. out so, you know, compared uh Chalky, really? Ross Wednesday. Twenty-two, I think the final tally was. So he's spent. If you see an average cinema ticket, he's probably yeah, he's got an he's got an unlimited. Car. No, let's forget that. Let's just do. <laughs> let's say he went to see. Let's say he didn't have one of them, and it's seven quid a pop 
go to the cinema. It's a, a hundred, about 150 quid he spent going to see that film at the cinema. Yeah, you could just wait for uh, it to come out. He saved 150 quid. He saved it, Steve. It depends on how you look at things, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine doing that because, like, yeah, that's that's mad. Why why is he why did he do that? Yeah, that would probably make a good Yeah, that make a that'd probably make it quite a good article. What makes you do that? Don't you do that. <laughs> I think literally all that happened was someone said that he couldn't, so he did. He, he had a dream dead, and then he He had a dream <laughs> and uh, and he saw it through. Yeah. And uh, I think Marvel got a hold of it in the end. They sent him some uh, they sent him some stuff. Like some, some, some <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, I don't actually know what he what he ended up with, but I know they they were definitely asking him for his like personal details. And, yeah, so well, I, 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 I will go and watch. I'm going to go and watch Star Wars seven twenty one times. Then I, know, I think he came out twenty two, so you'll have to do it twenty three times. If I if I went to saw a film, if I went to saw a film twenty three times at cinema, if I went to saw Star Wars twenty three times at cinema, I'd probably give him my Millennium Falcon like a full size one. A working one. You probably get some free therapy. <laughs> I just want some free shit. Anything, anything for free, and I'll. Oh, imagine I'll if it had been Phantom Menace. Oh god! Imagine going and watch the Phantom Menace in the cinema to me three times. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be here. I speak with the horror. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, right, yeah. You watch Guardians of the Galaxy again. I did. Well, I did because um, I got home last night. Uh, slight, slightly merry, it has to be said. I went out for a couple of drinks last night. And it was uh, at home. And I'm, I'm a big fan of the steelbook format. So um, you say that uh, Mike Shawcross would have spent 150 quid. It still wouldn't have been as, as expensive as getting hold of this steelbook on eBay. Uh, no, it wasn't that bad, actually. Yeah. But they tend to sell out. Marvel tends to release these things in really limited runs now, like on the day the film comes out in the cinema. And if you don't know about it, then, then that's it, basically. But I'm quite proud of the fact that I managed to get all the Phase 2 um, uh, films in Steelbook, which is uh, quite quite impressive, considering how difficult they are to get hold of. And then I'm going to sell them for, um, and get a nice Phase 2 box set when that comes out after Age of Anyway, so, yeah, I went. Uh, I watched it last night because um, I wanted to check out the 3D, which I thought in the cinema was really, really good. Um, and it, it it is still quite good, even though it was um, it was retrofitted. It wasn't filmed in 3D, but I thought it was some of the most impressive, like outside of the obvious contenders like Gravity and Life of Pi, and or uh, Avatar as well. Then um, it's probably one of the most impressive um, 3D films ever. Just like some of the um, some of the expansive uh, bits out in space, especially when they're floating through space. And there's a really nice bit. Just near the end, if you've seen it, you know the bit I'm talking about with um, with Groot, where he um, spawns all the like the light spores, and that in 3D is just completely amazing. But if you haven't seen it, I, I don't really want to be friends with you because um, it was it was fantastic. But um, basically, it is um, it is a film about a very decidedly B B list team of um, Marvel characters. Um, it's not a current incarnation of Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't think. So it doesn't have Adam Warlock in it, but um, it's just essentially a lot of misfits kind of thrown together in the pursuit of a kind of MacGuffin type um, object. 
and um, they have to stay together because it's going to be sold to someone and then they realise it's far more powerful and they have to kind of give it back to uh, someone who's a bit more responsible. In the meantime, there's a kind of genocidal maniac who's um, who's also looking for this MacGuffin and um, and wants to use it to destroy the world. So that's that's good. Um, yeah, it's it's just so much fun. People are talking about Star Wars at the moment, but I think this was far more insane than any Star Wars film. I'm really sorry. I'm not a big fan of Star Wars. <laughs> I think this is probably... This is probably like the the Star Wars people were looking forward to in in nineteen ninety nine. This this kind of thing. You got like the anti hero, the the really nice girl. Um, I don't quite know where. Well, there's there there's a tall person and a short person who kind of bicker with each other. <laughs> so you know, it's the, the analogy's there. Um, but yeah, it's just tremendous fun. And I did I did let out a little kind of disbelieving. I, I still have problems when I see the words a James Gunn film. Across a Marvel, <laughs> across a Marvel property, because um, it's just completely amazing. Um, but I, I mean, I, I watched, used to watch a lot of his um, trauma films he wrote, and uh, obviously he was more, more involved in kind of horror, um, like Slither and Super, which is a really good and underrated film, I think. But yeah, the fact that Marvel wins to take a punt on him, and he, because he can be quite near the knuckle, and in fact, this is a this is one of the most adult films. Some of the, some of the um, lines that come out are probably the most adult film, adult lines in uh, in any Marvel film so far. There's definitely a jizz joke, isn't there? There's definitely a jizz joke. <laughs> but um, mm. yeah, so he manages to like tone it down, but not not enough to completely blunt the edges. And it's just yeah, it's just a really really fun film. Um, so if you haven't seen it, definitely definitely check it out. Okay, uh, Owen, what have you seen this week? Uh, well, um, I watched an Italian film that I've had on DVD that's been sitting on the side in its love film envelope for about two months, um, just sitting there unopened, called La Vita e Bella, uh, otherwise known as Life is Beautiful. It's a very highly regarded film. Uh, I checked, I made sure, I did a bit of homework to kind of maintain our high levels of professionalism. That we've maintained over the past few weeks. Uh, and I found out that it's currently 29th in the IMDb Top 250. Um, what that basically means is it's above films like 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, above Citizen Kane, above Taxi Driver, To Kill a Mockingbird, Apocalypse Now, above any film by Alfred Hitchcock as well. Well, I know that's not the best indicator for quality, the, the IMDb Top 250, so I looked into it a bit further and found that uh, Life is Beautiful has won three Oscars, uh, one for the lead actor, for Roberto Benigni, uh, who also directed the film, um, and it won Best Foreign Language Film that year as well, as well as being nominated for a further four awards, uh, one of which was Best Picture and Best Director. So, you know, it's quite quite highly regarded, as I say, but again, though, the Oscars are not always the best indicator of quality. Uh, so, Hello, Crash. Uh, what is? <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's precisely my point. It's not always a good indicator that the best picture nominated film, or a winner even, is is actually a good film. Um, but what I definitely know, well, I say definitely know, what sometimes is or can potentially be a good indicator of, of how good the film is going to be, uh, how about the fact then that it's actually the favourite film of James, our... Um, 
founder of Fail Critics, uh, the godfather of Fail Critics in many ways. Um, it's his favourite film. And without meaning to be too patronising to James, I can see why he loves it. Um, I'm sure I remember him describing it at one point on the podcast uh, ages ago as uh, a raw uh, and emotional film. And I think that's fair enough. It is. It was made in 1997, um, but the story is set in, ni- in, in the 1930s in Italy, and it follows Guido, or Guido, I think it's pronounced, uh, who's a happy-go-lucky character. Uh, he falls in love, he becomes a father, and then during the Second World War, he's sent off to a concentration camp because he's Jewish, or of Jewish ancestry. And he's separated from his wife, who isn't Jewish, but ends up being sent to, to a concentration camp as well. Um, but they're separated, they're not in the same place. Um, but his son is sent with him, and he kind of hides his son in this concentration camp and invents this incredibly elaborate uh, ruse to protect his son's innocence. Um, makes him believe, makes his son believe that they're actually what they're doing, just playing a game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is quite amusing actually because of the because Guido is such a charismatic character and he, he plays a lot of things for laughs. And he's, he is played exceptionally well by Benini. Fully deserved his uh, his Oscar win for that performance. Uh, but, of course, it's also harrowing in the way that stories about places like Auschwitz always are. You know, you see people being sent to gas chambers, uh, families being torn apart, you know, these callous German soldiers and all that. I mean... For me, it never got as affecting as something like um, Roman Polanski's The Pianist is. That that I found quite disturbing. And also um, Art Spiegelman's comic masterpiece, Mouse, you know. Um, but it's on a par with something like uh, Polaska, film from 2002, which is another Italian film uh, about Jewish people during World War II. And I suppose another common comparison is The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas, you know, with the, the fact it's about a young kid as well. Um, but life is beautiful. It's a bit. It's it's a lot better than the boy in striped pajamas. Um, it's got a strangely uplifting feel to it, as I suppose you might guess from the title of the film. Um, you know about life, and, and the, the, you can find beauty in relationships between people, uh, even in the sort of grimmest and the darkest of times. Uh, whereas the boy in striped pajamas just doesn't have that at all. And, yeah, it's just really, really depressing. <laughs> Because regardless of the innocence of youth that's displayed in that, it's just so downbeat. Um, actually, as a kind of side note to that, I'm going off on a tangent a little bit. When my mum watched The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas, she doesn't normally watch these types of films. So she, she phoned me afterwards and said, I've just seen an absolutely horrible film. It was so horrible, I just put the DVD in the bin. <laughs> kind of, that's quite that's a <laughs> she hated it so much, she binned the DVD. Um, but anyway, yeah, so Life is Beautiful, uh, it was quite good. Is it my favourite film ever? No, probably not. Can I see why it might be someone else's? Yeah, definitely. Because it's a well-made film, it's very well-directed, um, the acting in it is brilliant, um, I'm, but at the same time, I'm not too bothered about the fact I've put it off for so long. You know, I must have paid to rent it about three times, um since I first heard about it, and I've just never gotten around to it before, before the actual rentals expired. So it's been sitting there for two months already as well from Love Film. I, I wasn't that motivated to watch it, but I did enjoy it as much as you can, you can enjoy a 
film face. And also, as a final sort of comment, I'm sorry to James for only quite liking it. I said on Twitter I quite liked it, and he <laughs> he blew a gasket because he's a bit sick of me saying I quite like his favourite films now. So sorry, James, but I'll be honest, I did just quite like it. Okay. Uh, finally, for what we've been watching, the film I saw was Ocean's Eleven. Uh, haven't seen that. This is a 2001 uh, version. Haven't seen it for a long time. It's on telly. I can't remember which channel it was on. Probably ITV7 or something like that. Um, <laughs> one of the four films they seem to have on circulation at the moment. But yeah, 2001. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago, does it? No. It, seemed, it doesn't seem like a film that was, was made, you know, 13, 14 years ago now. Um, Good bit of quick math. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, stars a big cast, isn't it? Um, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Andy Garcia, Julia Roberts, Don Cheadle. So there's a lot of high caliber, a lot of Oscar nominations. Not for this film, but for for other works they've done. Um, yeah, a bit a big cast. Um, it, it's it's good. It's enjoyable. It's not, you know, I don't think anyone is, is putting in their, their best performance in this film by, by a long way. But it's certainly an enjoyable film. Uh, it's quite, it's very cool, very slick. Uh, looks very stylish. Obviously set in Vegas. <coughs> Excuse me, where, you know, so it's, uh, an intricate plot with a few twists along the way that some are predictable, some aren't predictable. And you can kind of even overlook, um, Don Cheadle's Cockney accent in the film, <laughs> which is just, oh, yeah, I don't know where he thinks no. from. I don't know, I don't know, you've got a choice. Hire an actual Cockney, or don't give him a Cockney accent if he can't do one. And they've not done either. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Um, I, I heard that he, that Don Cheadle actually kind of did that himself because he wanted to differentiate himself from um, Sammy Davis Jr. in the original. So it was actually his idea. And, you know, possibly an ego thing. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. I don't remember his accent being that bad. I mean, I remember thinking it's a bit non-specific. It's just a, it's obviously an American's impression of an English Cockney accent. I don't remember it being that bad, really. I mean, I can't. I'm not. I can't remember what year Snatch was. It's, I can't. Okay, fair enough. I can't remember what year Snatch was made in, but it's almost as Brad Pitt got to sit down and watch Snatch. Just do one of their voices. Do one of their voices. And it's just no, <laughs> definitely not. Um. Yeah, I really enjoy Ocean's Eleven. I don't think it's a, a bad. It's not one of those films that's so bad it's good. It is genuinely a good, fun um, crime caper. Yeah. It's also got the scene where it's putting the gang together, and I always like a, a scene where you're getting the gang put together in any kind yeah. of film. Um, but then after Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve and Thirteen, it kind of disappears up their own arse, doesn't it? Massively. Yeah, with, with, with hologram things that Eddie is on, hologram duels or and, and Julia Roberts playing the character in this film who looks like Julia Roberts so has to pretend to be Julia Roberts. Oh with, yeah, with, in a hotel with Bruce. Yeah, Bruce. which yeah. just makes no sense <laughs> when you think about it. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it was a bit smug. I mean, you, could, you can tell in Ocean's Eleven that all the people involved are enjoying it. Which is fine because that makes for a good film at times when you can see all the cast are enjoying it and they've got a good relationship. They enjoyed it too much, I think, because then they kind of forced making 12 and 13 off their own backs, I think. They were really all keen to just get together and hang out again and make another film. They've got enough money, why can't they just get together and hang out again? 
not make a party. <laughs> yeah. Not doing anything. Don't they can get together and make money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So I mean, after eleven, it went a bit downhill quite quickly, but eleven was certainly a good film. Um, I think that's all there for what you've been watching. Up next, we have got a couple of new releases to review. Time to review a couple of new releases now. Uh, and Carol's going to start off with Hockney. Yeah, the latest in, in the series of art films this year. Art is big in the cinematic world. We've had, we've had Mr. Turner and now we have Hockney. Although uh, Hockney is actually a documentary because luckily we still have David Hockney. Obviously we don't have J.M.W. Turner with us anymore because he's dead. But uh, David Hockney's still around so we can make a, a documentary about him. Uh, so this essentially charts uh, Hockney's life, or pretty, pretty much um, his, his whole career and his whole life. Um, he's now in his 70s and he splits his time between Yorkshire and, and California. He's got a really nice looking house in California as well. It's like a bird's nest. It's amazing. But um, yeah, so it kind of looks at his... Um, I, I want to say it looks at the, the evolution of his work, but it doesn't really. It kind of... It looks more as... Um, at his personal life, but at the same time, it's, it's a little bit sycophantic. It's a little bit, um, there's not really a lot of, of digging going on there. Um, because obviously they have to kind of keep him on side to, to, to get his, uh, to get his input. There's no narrative, it is just hot me and, and various other people talking. And I have to, I, I read the, um, after I came out, I read the review of noted failed critics, uh, fan Peter Bradshaw. And um, and I have to say I, I pretty much agree with what with what he says in his review. It's you know it's it's pretty good, but it is ultimately it just kind of it, it's kind of glossy and it doesn't really scratch the surface of who he is, which is a shame because I think that David Huntley is a really really interesting guy. It does go into into depth about certain things. So um, obviously you get to the eighties and um, there's a there's a big section on uh, the AIDS crisis in the eighties and how it hit a lot of people that. that Hockney knew, um, and it kind of basically decimated his his group of friends because so many of them died from this disease. But um, you know, the, and that's like the, the one bit you feel really comes across with uh, with some sincerity in ways. You know, it's actually kind of painful to talk about. But yeah, on the whole, it's just uh, it, it's a little bit it was a little bit superficial to my liking, and I can understand why. But I would have liked it to have gone a bit, a bit further into his, um, into his psyche. Basically, I, you know, I can imagine if someone made a film about Tracy Emin, they wouldn't let her get off quite as lightly with, um, with, with some of the statements that that she makes. You know, there would be some actual kind of questioning behind them, and you know, you really want someone to question Hockney about certain things he did and certain pieces that he made, and it never really, never really came about, um, which is it's a shame because. Yeah, he's got such a long career behind him. He's such an interesting person. He went from like a Bridlington, New Yorkshire, moved to New York, and then moved to LA. Um, and you know, he's he's still got his working working class Northern accent, which is just lovely because he's now turned into this kind of jovial granddad type, just kind of sitting in the corner telling telling stories about his uh, about about the wild sixties and everything. But um, yeah, it's it's a shame really. It just doesn't go into into as much into as much depth 
as it, as it could do. Some people may argue that it's because it's painted as kind of superficial as well. I would disagree. But this film doesn't give any ammo against that argument. Okay. Um, and on to um, the next new release then, which is uh, The Hunger Games, uh, Mocking Jay Part 1, seen by both me and Owen. Um, continuation, obviously, of this franchise. Owen, have you? I'm guessing you've seen both the previous efforts uh, in the series. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I have seen yeah. both of them. They're, 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 I think one of the most unfortunate things is they kind of their success spawned a whole series of these kind of tween, or not tween, slightly older, you know, teenage kind of adventure, rebellion, but like Divergent and The Maze and things like that. And there's just lots of that kind of thing coming out now. It's just kind of a bit tired already. Yeah. But anyway, um, I've seen the first two Hunger Games before this one. I just thought they were fine. They were okay. They were they were watchable, yet instantly forgettable. Um, but I by the sounds of it, you thought worse of them. <laughs> I was thoroughly bored by the first one. The, it, was, it was a real slot. I was looking forward to it, because I remember it being one of the, the, the podcast reviews before I joined, and I remember listening to it before I joined Battle Critics. And I thought, actually, they've reviewed it. It seems a lot better than I thought it would, would be. And then when I actually... I, I think I rented it through Blinkbox. It might have been the first film I watched on Blinkbox. Um... I was really disappointed. I thought it was really dull, and despite it being like over two hours long, by the end of it, I didn't really feel like much had actually happened that I'd found that interesting. So I was quite disappointed, and then I got dragged along to see the second film by a friend of mine who really did like the first film as it happens, and just to sort of agree to meet up and go and see a film with him. He, he really wanted to see The Hunger Games, so I ended up seeing the second one in the cinema. And I thought it was better than the first. It does a lot of the same things again, but with a few more gimmicks to make the actual Battle Royale light stuff more interesting. Um, but I, I, I ended up sort of watching half of it again at the weekend, because my wife obviously didn't see the second one. So she watched it whilst I went out halfway through the film to walk the dogs because I just couldn't I couldn't sit through it again. I found it on the, on the second watch. It was it was worse. Did it, it was harder. It actively offended you than the first time. I uh, yeah. I just thought I can't I can't put myself through that. I can't watch that again. <laughs> it's like two and a half hours. I'm not yeah. So I watched half of the second film again before going to see this one. And this was like an effort for me to see the third film to see Mockingjay. I really had to. <laughs> Go right. Someone on failed critics has got to see this film because we've got to review it. So I'll I'll put myself through it. So this was for, for you two, and I hope hope you both appreciate. I that. I do appreciate you taking one for the team, Owen. I took one for the team. <laughs> but so yeah. Steve. So but did you enjoy the third? Yeah, so, yeah. Steve was seems like Steve was going to see it anyway. So <laughs> it was all in vain. But did you like it at all, Steve, or did you? <laughs> find it just okay again or it, it was slightly less than okay but it's 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 all just kind of same thing isn't it i mean i suppose in in mockingjay there's no kind of hunger games anymore so you've not got kind of any low rent version of battle royale going on um hmm. but yeah so it's now kind of like a uh 
rebellion kind of film, you know, the the, the districts against the capital and all that kind of yes. thing. It's just it's just part of it. Like, an, it's just some of it annoys me because it's just so like kind of cliched or predictable or or boring. It doesn't challenge anyone. So I'm just guessing the books don't even challenge the readers in any way at all. If yeah, the, the first one's actually all right. The first one's not bad. They they do get worse. I I am not in, at all impressed with the idea of splitting splitting the third one into two uh, two films. I think that's completely unnecessary. Oh, it's made, it's done for money, profit, sure, purely. Mm. It's why The Hobbit was made what? into three films. It's why um, the last Harry Very Potter book was made into two films. Money, isn't it? But um, there is enough. There is enough going on in the last Harry Potter. You could sort of justify it. In uh, in Mockingjay, you just can't justify two films, or in The Hobbit as well, actually. You definitely can't justify three films being made out of it. That's ridiculous. But, um, yeah. I, um, just on a side note before we move on, I rewatched the extended, well, this is the first watch of the extended Lord of the Rings films. I think I've talked about Fellowship of the Ring on here. Yeah. I watched that. But I rewatched all of the, the Lord of the Rings films now. I watched the animated film from the 70s. And then I rewatched both of the two Hobbit films after that as well, and I'm quite looking forward to the third Hobbit film. I'm really more excited about the Hobbit film than Jurassic World, which we've talked. About. I'm not not looking forward to it. Put it that way. Yeah, I know. I really, I find myself really enjoying them again, and I don't know why. I don't know why because I absolutely did not think they would be my kind of film. But I'm, yeah, well, I don't know. I don't. I haven't read the book, so I don't know how it's. Um, how much of it has been stretched out further than it needed yeah. to be, but yeah. But so I can clearly see with Hunger Games, with Mockingjay Part One. You're right. There is. It's interesting. It's more interesting to see the rebellion going on. You know, you've got Julianne Moore and Philip Seymour Hoffman, who, by the way, is clearly the best actor in this film. Stands out like Definitely. a sore thumb above everybody mm. else. Um, and it's such a shame that that he's gone now. But you know. Such is life. Such is life for everyone else but him. Then, yeah. yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but he's he's really good in it. He stands out quite a lot. And Julianne Moore's right. Um, but I've heard people criticising her performance. I think she's. I don't know what you felt, Steve, when you watched it. But I think the way she played it was meant to be. Not charismatic. She's not meant to be the call to arms president. No, I don't know, and I don't know if that's what she's supposed to be like in the book. Do, do you remember in the book, Carol, if she's supposed to be this big charismatic president, or if she actually recognises she doesn't really do big speeches very well? Um, she only really comes in in the third in the third book, and, and she just sort of like pops up out of nowhere. You're just like, oh, there's right. a there's a president. Okay. And she's quite, yeah, she's she's not really. Um, I think she recognises that, that the kids are the future, etc. And she's kind of um, she's willing them on from the sidelines, basically. Yeah, she doesn't she doesn't really like. She's not really the one to okay. kind of g them up. So if that is definitely the case, then um, I'll be perfectly honest. I thought she played that quite well, really. All things considered. Yeah, you factor um, that into it. I suppose she did play it quite yeah. well. There's one thing that there's one. No, carry on. Sorry, I was going to say the, the problem is that you're relying then on only having people who have read the book watching the film. 
Um, and I found this to be a massive problem. I, I saw the first um, film, and it kind of put me off the whole franchise, to be honest, because there were bits in there that didn't really make any sense unless you'd watched, unless you'd read the book. And I was thinking, well, this this is stupid because the book needs to stand on its own two feet. Um, like there's a there's a bit with um like she befriends a young girl, um in the first one, and the young girl mm. ends up obviously dying. Um, but in the in the book, um, in the book, this is quite a long um relationship, and it's all made out about how she reminds her of her sister, and and they're together for ages. But in the film, they're together for about five minutes, and then she dies, and it's just like well, you know. And, and then she's kind of doing everything in her memory from then on. But it doesn't make any sense in the film because she's literally known her for about 10 seconds. And then and she gets... I, I, can't, I can't remember how she dies. But it, it's not it's not well. And, um, yeah, so it doesn't really make any sense in the, in the film. You're relying on people having read the books. And obviously a significant portion of people will have read the books. But you need to go beyond that. You need to actually have it make sense for people who haven't read the books as well. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt like with a lot of characters in the Hunger Games, you don't care about them. You can see that Jennifer Lawrence's character, Katniss, is meant to care about them, but you think, well, that's just because she's supposed to be quite nice then, I suppose, and not because of any real connection to them uh, as, as actual things that are happening to, to enhance the story in any way. Yeah, yeah. But, but like in this third film, in this third film, there's a few characters that kind of pop up, and they're nothing more than plot progression devices, to be honest, which is a waste. Yeah, it, it's really weird, because in the third, I think it's in the third, but you just get a, a whole kind of cast of people just pop up out of nowhere, and you kind of lose track of the third one's not particularly good, um, and you kind of lose track of, of who everyone is, and, you know, oh, okay, so why are we caring about this person? You literally just popped up, oh, okay, they know them, oh, that's fine. Um, yeah, and you sort of lose track of, of who everyone is and what they're actually doing and, and who they're fighting with and, and what their motivation is, etc. Hmm. So that's not necessarily a fault of the film. It's just a fault of the source material. Of, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, perhaps, perhaps if in the film they should have tried to do something better with them then. Oh yeah, absolutely. Not include them. You know, they've got a choice of, of what to actually adapt from a novel. Yeah, or cut it down to one film and just have the meaningful stuff. Or in cut there. it to one film and stop putting so much filler in it. Yeah, that exactly. would be the other thing to do. Yeah, well, I mean, overall though, I thought the third film it was there, there were parts of it that were quite decent. Like I said, I did like this clash between the rebellion and the capital. Um, you know, all the rebellious districts trying to form a cohesive revolution um, which was quite interesting to, to, to watch I guess um, and the propaganda side of it as well, how the propaganda gets used uh, you know, how they make Katniss into the Mockingjay who's the in, in, in the, this bit's in the trailer as well so people have seen this yeah. bit where it's like oh you have to find yourself another Mockingjay it's like, what does that mean? and it's still like that in the film, it's like what's a Mockingjay? I know that like, the Mockingjay, like it's like, does it have any kind of power or emphasis or meaning? It's just like, all right. It's a symbol, I think, is the only thing, really, because of where she's from with the Mockingjays, and she has that little brooch that becomes the symbol of... Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't think we can say much more on Hunger Games uh, Mockingjay Part 1. Part 2 will be out probably next year, so I guess we were all really excited for that one. 
<laughs> yeah. The only other thing to sort of mention about the Hunger Games actually is the song in it is apparently because there's a, there's a bit where Jennifer Lawrence's character she sings this thing about a hanging tree, um, which has now been released as a track I think and is in the top forty. In the hit parade. Yes. Jennifer Lawrence's version. Yeah. Is there nothing that girl can't do? Keep her bloody clothes on by the looks of it. I think we could have all predicted it would be Steve yeah. who would sink first. I wonder if it went away from the public eye <laughs> and now I brought it back, so. Press, that's what you asked me. I just don't care anymore. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's the Hunger Games. Uh, before we finish up this week, just our recommendations for the week ahead. I'm going for a film I've not seen before, um, but with a title that you're just going to hear from me, it, it can't be bad. This is on uh, at 9 o'clock on Tuesday night. It's on Movies for Men, and it's called Disaster Zone, Volcano in New York. Now, if that's not a good film, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'll report back. Please do. This is going to be a brilliant podcast next week, I can tell. You're Steve reviewing this thing about a volcano. In and, on, and under and, the skin. And under the skin. <laughs> That's going to be two polar opposite films for you right you now. You never know, they might be exactly the same. Oh, what are you going for? Um, well, it's kind of... I feel a bit bad about recommending these films, though, because of slagging off Hunger Games for not having a very good story but and cheap characters. But... But Channel 5 on Sunday at 9pm, there's a double bill of The Expendables 2 and then Universal Soldier at uh, 11 o'clock, I think that was on. So there you go, there's a double bill of, of Van Damme films. He always comes in twos, apparently. Let's get two Van Dams together. But there you go. Expendables 2, where he plays a character called Villain, um, <laughs> who's obviously the bad guy. And Universal Soldier, where he's um, a super soldier, resurrected. With sort of robotic powers. Yeah. Pretty good. Dolph Lundgren's in it as well. There you go. Is that not a recommendation for is you? That's not a recommendation. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Can't the room with a bit Dolph, can you? Exactly. Hey, Carol. Um, I'm going to go for. We've all gone for different days this week. That's quite good. Um, I'm going to go for yeah. one on Wednesday, 3rd, uh, tw- uh, 20 past 11 at night. So you might have to stick the old TiVo on or insert your PVR. Uh, software here, uh, but on film four at twenty past eleven on Wednesday is Stripes, which is if you haven't seen it, very very funny. Okay, uh, that's all for this week's podcast. Then, so thanks to everyone who's contributed and everyone who's listened. Uh, you can see more from the website at www.failcritics.com, and as I said, there'll be another podcast around about the same time next week. So, next one is uh, 2001 Vanilla Sky. Don't know. No, I don't know. Alright, 2002 Adaptation.
I've just seen the beach. <laughs> I've, I've seen the beach, and I can't remember anyone other, like anyone big other than Leonardo DiCaprio, and Robert Carlyle. I can't think of anyone else who was in that. Um, except I think that maybe there was a black guy who I should recognise, but I can't. Nice. <laughs> yes, who, it's not, who was in that location? Meryl Streep. Was it Meryl Streep? Yeah, it's Meryl no. Streep, Owen. Yeah, she's. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's it, you've nailed it. Well done. What film are we watching? She's the hippie one. Yeah. Um, uh, where did I get to? Okay, uh, 2003, Young Adam. Hmm. Yeah. No. No. I'm not even going to guess. No. Steve? No, no. All right. 2005. Constantine, or is it Constantine? I'm not sure. Constantine, I think. I've seen that. I've definitely seen it. Well, Keanu Reeves wasn't in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure. Just like basically just saying the lead actors and hoping it's the lead actors. Yeah, anyone (laughs) I can just sort of remember. I don't don't remember who else was in that. No. No. Okay. Did you say no, both of them? Alright. Um, 2005, Broken Flowers. Never even heard of There's that. There's a lot of people in Broken Flowers. Uh, I do. So I'm going to go for another. <laughs> Bill Murray! It's not <laughs> Bill Murray, is it? I can totally imagine him being on the, in the beach. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. no, it's not Bill Murray, no. Steve? Uh, I haven't even seen that film, so I'm not even going to get it. Alright, it might start to get a bit easier from here on in, actually. 2005, uh, Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia. So, they're probably British. Um, I've seen the Narnia film. <laughs> Both uh, of them. Tilda Swinton, maybe? Yes, Tilda Swinton! Oh, hey! <laughs> Excellent. Well done. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Yeah. Don't, don't, well, don't apologize. Yeah, don't apologize just yet. Apologize after you've picked the film for us to watch, and if it's shit, then apologize. Oh no! Uh, oh god, yeah, because I right. remember what I did to him. Yeah, because I get to pick. <laughs> well, remember I picked well. a good film last time I won, or at least an interesting one. You picked. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is an interesting film, Steve. I've, I've got. I've come prepared this week in case I did win. <laughs> um, it is an interesting film. Uh, but you're both going to have to watch Under the Skin. Oh, yeah, I've been meaning to watch that. Um, I, okay. I've been umming and ahhing about it, because I actually have the book as well on my Kindle, and I was umming and ahhing about, about, about reading the book first and then watching the film. But it seems like okay. my mind has been made up for me, and I'll yeah, have to well, watch the film first. you can read the book in under a week. Speed read it. I don't know, how long is it? <laughs> I, I could maybe do the that. The film is, I don't know how long the book is, but the film's about an hour and 40, I think. So it's not a massive epic length film. But Steve, it is a bit weird. That's fine. I'm just pulling that out there. It's that's, a bit strange. That's fine. Just, okay. Okay, with the book, just read the first chapter, the middle three chapters and the last chapter. And the you'll last fine. The last page. That's, that's, that's generally... <laughs> you probably won't be with under the... No, that's, ge- that's generally how I read books. It's never done me wrong so far. Is that how you're reading the Harry Potter ones right now, simultaneously watching the films? I've... T- I've never watched the second one. I don't even want to talk about it. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> if 
I can watch Star Wars again, though. That's the, that's the thing. Now we've watched two Harry Potters, I can watch Star Wars, one of them. Is that is that the deal? It, we've come up with a structure because there's more Harry Potters than Star Wars. I don't even I want to watch. I don't even want to watch the prequels. <laughs> I'm just going to give them my. I'm just going to tell the backstory of, of what happens in the prequels. And... Can, can I tell you an interesting fact? Actually, I learned this, and I don't think I've dropped into conversation on the on the podcast yet. But it is related, sort of, to the to the uh, like the bogey films that well, the last film I made you watch. There was more um, the principal photography on the room is longer, was longer, six months, than the principal photography for episode seven. That's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) We worked it out, it's about two weeks longer. And maybe that's a a top knowledge. What what for? Why? Because it's a work of art and art takes time, I guess. (laughs) 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 But that's some some, some big knowledge. <laughs> mm. Well, while we're on Star Wars, neatly segue into into the news. Uh, we've had two big trailers out for what's going to be two of the biggest films of next year. Um, we've had trailers for Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Awakens, and Jurassic World. Um, but they're not really trailers, though. That's kind of. I don't know. I'd, I'd say Jurassic World's definitely a trailer. Star yeah, Wars Star, Star Wars Seven is a teaser. Uh, Jurassic World is definitely a trailer because there's a good bit of plot in there as well. Yeah. Star Wars yeah, is essentially just a load of, of bits jumbled together like a bit of a kitchen sink. These are the bits that we've finished. Just, like, throw them at the screen. Yeah. Here, is some, <laughs> here are some new people um, that you don't know yet but are going to be important. Here's a cool-looking lightsaber from A Man in the Hood and here's a Millennium Falcon. There you go. Job done. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, it's and worked, hasn't it? Cause everyone yeah, about it. it has worked, and it was really good and really promising, and they mixed the old stuff with the new stuff well. You thought Jurassic World could go down the same track, not even thrown in the music. You would have thought that would have gone, no, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, like, the music... It is there. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like really... quiet piano. Yeah. No, you yeah. it on a recorder or something. <laughs> <laughs> my my favourite rendition of the Jurassic Park... Um, Jurassic Park theme is the people that play it on the harmonica. Have you ever seen that video on YouTube? Yeah. Where they play it? No. Like when they go over and he's like, "Welcome to Jurassic Park," and it just and they just start off with the harmonica. It's just so funny, cracks me up. Film themes being done out of tune is just the funniest thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. The 2001 Space Odyssey, just <laughs> the school children is just fantastic. It, I cry every time. I cry yeah. with laughter every time I hear it. It's one of the best things ever. <laughs> it is. No, I wasn't. I wasn't ticking on the Jurassic World trailer. To be honest, I was just. It's just a bit. Um, I, I, I didn't really. I heard a lot of people moaning about the effects. I didn't really notice the effects no. being being that bad. To be perfectly honest. Well, more, well, the thing is, I was, the thing is, you can't get a real dinosaur, and you can't make anything what? up to look like a dinosaur. Like in like in Star Wars, they're building they're building sets. They sets. They built like a set of the Millennium Falcon. Like in the old Lord of the Rings films, they were dressing people up to look like hawks. You're going to have to use CGI to do a dinosaur. There's not really any other way around it, is there? Yeah, I was more well, disappointed about like, the hokey uh, dialogue. Yeah. Oh, you Chris, made I thought, something bad. I thought, yeah, but I thought Chris Pratt was pulling off the hokey dialogue fine. And then he trained a load of velociraptors by the look of the trailer. 
Well, one of the rumours that was arranged a while ago was that they were splicing dinosaur DNA to create super intelligent dinosaurs, and that you were going to have like characters in the film riding dinosaurs, like like horses or whatever. And it was that sounded to me like the worst rumour imaginable. And then in that teaser, you don't see anyone riding dinosaurs, but you do see what looks like potentially good intelligent raptors trying to hunt down a giant evil raptor that's super intelligent and that just looks completely shit to me or maybe they're running away because the trailer says that they've they've made a new dinosaur haven't they Mm. a a, a raptosaurus rex probably basically that's what's probably (laughs) t-rex with long arms yeah. That's it. That's the all I need to do, wasn't it? Fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just give it long arms. And opposable thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> we are all doomed. <laughs> it doesn't look like they've got any, like Styles, doesn't look like they've got any of the original uh, cast back, does it? Well, they've got some sort of R2-D2 thing that just rolls along. It's, no, it's, it's still, it's I saw about Jurassic World still. They don't look oh, like right, any, any of the, any Goldblum or Sam Neill or anyone. No, they were wisely ducked out after the second one movie, didn't they? So, um, well, somewhat yeah. both one of them was in the third one. Yeah, Sam Sam, Sam, Neil, Sam Neil was in the third one. Uh, with okay. with the with the with the kid from the first one, the boy who also I think he was in that the Pacific as well. He um, was so, Pacific, yeah. Yeah, so he, like he grew up from a child actor into a grown up actor, didn't disappear or anything. Then he was in Jurassic Park three. Um, because that's the one with the birds, isn't it? Yeah. That, that one is basically the last half, or bits that they left out of the first book, plus the Lost World book. Yeah. That's what, yeah, okay. Yeah. And um, then it just ends. I remember that. And then it, the, the ending's yeah. really weird. Yeah, because... But it has some good bits in that film, though. It's, that's the one with the, the tall grass, stay out of the long grass, or whatever. I think that's two. Oh, is it? Oh, <laughs> no, I can't remember that. I think, yeah, I'm fairly sure that's two. But they're really good. <laughs> Two. Fight? Is he in is that it, one or is he he's, in two? He's in two. Um, right, okay, so all the best bits I can remember yeah, are from the second yeah. one. Vince Vaughn's two, in two. Yeah, two's got Vince Vaughn not doing a comedy role, which which yeah. when you when you look back is a bit confusing, but that's like the first one I've ever seen him in, I think. Yeah, I think it's probably the first one I've seen him not, in. Not his earliest film that I've seen him in, but the first time I saw him in a film. Yeah. And then straight away forgot about him completely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was there was dodgeball, which was which was okay. Yeah, dodgeball's alright. Yeah, I think posit- if I had to, if I had a gun to my head and I had to choose a favourite Vince Vaughn film, I think dodgeball would probably be it. Dodgeball or uh, Wedding Crashers, no, maybe. Anchorman. Yeah, but I don't, you can't really call Anchorman a Vince Vaughn film, can you? It's like the only appearance. That it's I've like it's it's it's, it's, it's like calling Zombieland a Bill Murray film, isn't it? Really calling Anchorman <gasps> Vince Vaughn film. <laughs> People have seen it by now. It's the funniest bit. That is a Bill Murray film. Actually, it turns into a Bill Murray film for like ten minutes, and it's the funniest yeah. bit in the whole film. Um, but yeah, anyway, Star Wars, Star Wars trailer. FIFA seems to have got in there with a with a robot of their own. <laughs> yeah, even Get in the it. future, Set Blatter is an evil. Oh, and I know, no, I know, I know you don't like Star Wars, and I, I don't want to come across as a massive geek, but it's not in the future. And you should know that. Oh, it's a long... Yeah, you sorry. It's a rookie mistake. Yeah. yeah. And I claim to know something about film, someone once said. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't get... I don't get the FIFA joke. 
There's a robot that looks like a ball with a little head on it. Oh! In the Star Wars trailer. Oh, I see, yes. Very good. Well, but, you know, FIFA you know, don't have exclusive domain over all football. Do- oh, yeah, wait, they do actually, don't they? Yeah, and, so, uh, and <laughs> it doesn't matter where it is, they'll go in and change the rules. Yeah. <laughs> You can and have Star Wars, on... <laughs> but um, only if we can have beers. Yeah. So you have to, have to... Beers and change your tax laws. Yeah. You can have the um... World Cup on tattooing, but <laughs> you got to nice sons because put... it's going to mess up our, our, our playing schedule. <laughs> put a load of advertising hoardings around the slums on Tatooine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, but no, that looked that looked like an exciting trailer. Looks interesting. It's alright, actually. I'm not a big Star Wars fan, but yeah, I was. I, I thought that was a better trailer than the Jurassic World one. Mm. Mm-hmm. Bit with the music was was pretty awesome. JJ Abrams is not. Uh, his his weakness is not putting together a trailer, though, is it? It's like um, no. Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder's weakness is not putting together a good trailer at all. It's actually filling it out into a proper film. Um, well, look, what he should have done in the what he should have done it what he should have done in the trailer just as a teaser is the guy in the hood with the lightsaber with the things on the side pulls his hood down as Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a kids film. It's a kids film. He's a kids character, and anyone who, who actively hates him needs to have a long hard think about their lives. No, even <laughs> kids, even kids hated it. <laughs> My brother's a big Jar Jar. But anyway, really? Yeah. He was like, well, he, he, he was only about one year old when the, when the first one came out, or, you know, the Phantom Menace came out. So, you know, that in a film, in a nearly three-hour film that's about um, political, like, discourses on trade blockades and that, Jar Jar Binks is, is somewhat light relief for a kid, you know, so, like, there's something going, well, this is meant to be a kid's film, but there's a massive, like, political debate going on. Oh, wait, here's a guy who speaks funny, so that's all right. That's how kids look at Jar Jar Binks. It's like in Game of Thrones, isn't it, for the adults? When all the serious political like intrigue and all the, the, the clashes between the clans and kings and stuff like that, and they go, oh, hang on a sec, people are going to get bored. Let's have this character take her top off, and then we'll have that one over there. Have his head locked off. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> that will keep interest while we talk about the more serious Yeah. 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 Um, any other news? Um, we uh, had... Only that Mike Nichols died. Yeah, it's quite sad. That's quite sad. It wasn't really until uh, this ha- this happens quite a lot actually. Weirdly enough, it wasn't until I heard that he died that I actually worked out how many of his films I've seen, uh, which is quite weird. I've, I've obviously directed The Graduate, is probably his most famous film, and Catch Me Too, which I've not seen. I've, I've read the book and, and not seen the film. Um, but he's also directed uh, Working Girl, which I used to love that film. It's so it's so eighties, and uh, regarding Henry in the Birdcage, uh, which I think we were talking about uh, in our Robin Williams retrospective um, very long ago, and um, Primary Colours. So and and Closer was um, one of his last films as well, which obviously did very well and got a lot of Oscar nominations for the for the acting, I think generally. But um, yeah, so a, a good a good body of work, a good solid body of work there. Yeah. Um, well, he's one of those directors as well. Like you mentioned, that you didn't really know he di- he did all those songs. I think there was a there was a group of directors around sort of the uh, mid eighties, nineties who were quite prolific and had their 
they had quite a, a large output and lots of popular films, but weren't really keen on promoting their own name with the films, just because they thought the work should speak for itself. So there's a lot of films out there that he directed. Um, the people were suddenly, you know, as you've listed off all those films, they're going, oh, I didn't realise it was him, because that's kind of the point. That was on purpose. Yeah. So, But, you know, his most famous film, I think, is probably The Graduate. Um, with Dustin Hoffman, and you know, it's been parodied a hundred million times, and from you know, The Simpsons have done it, of course, because The Simpsons parody everything. But it is a fantastic film, one of the, my favourite films from the sixties as well. Um, brilliant performances in it, and it is really well directed. And also, it was the film that kind of introduced me to Simon and Garfunkel. So I kind of thank Mike Nichols for that more than anything else, to be honest. <laughs> The soundtrack to, to The Graduates, fantastic. Um, yeah, and only other real piece of news we can find comes from TV. Peter K is bringing back Phoenix Lights initially for um, a comic release special, and then maybe, perhaps, I think depending how it goes, there'd be a possibility of, of a live show or, or maybe even uh, a third series of the sitcom. Uh, anyone else a fan of this when it was out probably over ten years ago now? I think season two or series two finished or was aired. No, not really. Yeah. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I, I, I kind of. I loved that. I thought it was great. Like it. Yeah. It, yeah, parts of it were great. I used to like the little um, bits at the end where they did the talent show. Yeah. Just the little skit at the end of the credits was quite nice. But. Um, and Dave Spikey, I used to quite like Dave Spikey around that time. I mean, some of the outtakes are as funny as the actual programme itself, if you watch the extras on the DVD. Mm. Um, but it, it is really funny, and it's, I think Peter Kay gets a lot of stick because as like a uh, 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 kind of bog standard comedian who somehow got big because, you know, and Ryan's on catchphrase. Because he remembers stuff. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't really have a catchphrase. There's a couple of things that come up in Phoenix Lights once that come up in his stand-up. His biggest problem was he, re, he re-released the same stuff in terms of his stand-up, you know, ad nauseum. Just kind of put out, put out the, the same material, the same gig, and jigged it around a bit and passed off as something new, and it wasn't. Um, but yeah, generally... Phoenix Lights was very fun. I'm surprised he's managed to get everyone back together, though, like including Dave Spikey and is it Neil Fitzmaurice, his first name Neil, the one who the one who's in Peep Show as well, um, yeah. as um, as Jack I bet and Daniel Kitson's not. No, I don't think don't think Daniel Kitson's returned. But no. Peter Kay pissed off everyone basically, he even pissed off Paddy McGuinness, I think, and they, he's managed to build bridges and get them all back somehow. Well, that's him on personal. Yeah. But yeah, he, he didn't write it all himself, despite what he may have, have claimed at times. But yeah, he certainly didn't write it all himself. It was a kind of a team effort, but mostly between him, Dave Spidey, and Fitzmaurice. But we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, hopefully it'll be good and not kind of let everyone down. I'm afraid to break it to you. I reckon it's probably going to be shit. <laughs> yeah, I've not, I've not watched Phoenix Notes in a while, so I'm not sure how well it's aged. No, actually, I haven't either. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like you said already about Peter Kay, he just seems to rehash a lot of stuff yeah. over and over. So, I won't hold out much hope for it. Mm, no, it's not. Anyway, 
Uh, one part one there, and then part two, we've got what we've been watching. Part two then, what we've been watching, where we have a look at films we've seen in the last week. Uh, Carol has watched uh, Guardians of the Galaxy for what is probably the... probably double figures now, I imagine. <laughs> no, no, it's only the um, it's only the fourth time. We let, let, let's not forget we know people that went to the cinema to see it over twenty times. Can I just point exactly. out? So, you know, compared, uh, Shorty, really? Ross Wednesday, that twenty-two. I think the final tally was. So he just, spent. If you saw average cinema ticket, he's probably yeah, he's got an, he's got an unlimited. Car. No, let's forget that. Let's just do. Let's say he went to see. Let's say he didn't have one of them, and it's seven quid a pop to go to the cinema. And the best. About one hundred and fifty quid he spent going to see that film at the cinema. Yeah, he could just wait. Uh, yeah, for I think it you'll find he saved one hundred and fifty quid. He saved it, Steve. It's a fantasy. Well, look at things, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine doing that because, like, it, yeah, that's that's mad. Why? Why is he? Why did he do that? What makes you do that? I think literally all that happened was someone said that he couldn't, so he did. He had a dream. He had a dream and uh, and he saw it through. Yeah. And uh, I think Marvel got hold of it in the end. They sent him some uh, they sent him some stuff. Yeah, I don't actually know what he met, what he ended up with, but I know they they were definitely asking him for his like personal details. And, yeah, I'm gonna go and watch Star Wars seven twenty one times then. I, I think he came out twenty two, so you'll have to do it twenty three <laughs> times. If I if I went and saw a film, if I went and saw a twenty three times at the cinema, if I went and saw Star Wars twenty three times at the cinema. I've probably given my own Millennium Falcon like a full size one, a working <laughs> one. You probably get some free therapy. <laughs> I just want some free shit. Anything, anything for free, and I'll. Oh, imagine I'll if it had been Phantom Menace. Oh god! Imagine going and watch the Phantom Menace in the cinema to me three times. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be here. I'm speak with the horror. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so, yeah. You watched Guardians of the Galaxy again. I did. Well, I did because um, I got home last night. Uh, slight, slightly merry, has to be said. I went out for a couple of drinks last night, and it was uh, at home. And I'm, I'm a big fan of the steelbook format. So um, you say that uh, Mike Shawcross would have spent 150 quid. It still wouldn't have been as, as expensive as getting hold of this steelbook on eBay. Uh, no, it wasn't that bad actually. Yeah. But they tend to sell out. Marvel tends to release these things in really limited runs now, like on the day the film comes out in the cinema. And if you don't know about it, then then that's it basically. But I'm quite proud of the fact that I managed to get all the Phase Two um, uh, films in Steelbook, which is uh, quite quite impressive considering how difficult they are to get hold of. And then I'm going to sell them for um, and get a nice Phase Two box set when that comes out after Age of Ultron. Anyway. So yeah, I went. Uh, I watched it last night because um, I wanted to check out the 3D, which I thought in the cinema was really, really good. Um, and it, it it is still quite good, even though it was um, it was retrofitted. It wasn't filmed in 3D, 
but I thought it was some of the most impressive, like outside of the obvious contenders like Gravity and Life of Pi, and alright Avatar as well. Then um, it's probably one of the most impressive three um, D films ever. Just like some of the um, some of the expansive uh, bits out in space, especially when they're floating through space. And there's a really nice bit just near the end. If you've seen it, you know the bit I'm talking about with um, with Groot where he um, spawns all the like the light spores. And that in 3D is just completely amazing. But if you haven't seen it, I, I don't really want to be friends with you because um, it was it was fantastic. But um, basically, it is um, it is a film about a very decidedly B B list team of um, Marvel characters. Um, it's not a current incarnation of Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't think. So it doesn't have Adam Warlock in it. But um, it's just essentially. A lot of misfits kind of thrown together in the pursuit of a kind of MacGuffin type um, object, and um, they have to stay together because it's going to be sold to someone, and then they realise it's far more powerful. And they have to kind of give it back to uh, someone who's a bit more responsible. In the meantime, there's a kind of genocidal maniac who's um, who's also looking for this MacGuffin and um, and wants to use it to destroy the world. So that's that's good. Um, yeah, it's it's just so much fun. People are talking about Star Wars at the moment, but I think this was far more interesting than any Star Wars film. I'm really sorry. I'm not a big fan of Star Wars. <laughs> I think this is probably this is probably like the the Star Wars people were looking forward to in in 1999. This this kind of thing. You got like the antihero, the the really nice girl. Um, I don't quite know where. Well, there's yeah, there's a tall person and a short person. Who kind of bicker with each other? <laughs> so you know, it's the, the analogy's there. Um, but yeah, it's just tremendous fun. And I did, I did let out a little kind of disbelieving. I, I still have problems when I see the words a James Gunn film across a Marvel <laughs> across a Marvel property because um, it's just completely amazing. Um, but I, I mean, I, I watched, used to watch a lot of his um, trauma films he wrote. And uh, obviously, he was more, more involved in kind of horror, um, like Slither and Super, which is a really good and underrated film, I think. But yeah, the fact that Marvel wins to take a punt on him, and he because he can be quite near the knuckle. And in fact, this is a this is one of the most adult films. Some of the, some of the um, lines that come out are probably the most adult film adult lines in uh, in any Marvel film so far. There's definitely a jizz joke, isn't there? That's definitely a jizz joke. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he manages to like, tone it down, but not, not enough to completely blunt the edges. And it's just, yeah, it's just a really, really fun film. Um, so if you haven't seen it, definitely, definitely check it out. Okay. Uh, Owen, what have you seen this week? Uh, well, um, I watched an Italian film that I've had on DVD that's been sitting on the side in its love film envelope for about two months, um, just sitting there unopened, called La Vita e Bella, uh, otherwise known as Life is Beautiful. It's a very highly regarded film. Uh, I checked, I made sure, I did a bit of homework to kind of maintain our high levels of professionalism that we've maintained over the past few weeks. Uh, and I found out that it's currently 29th in the IMDb Top 250. Um, what that basically means is it's above films like 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, above Citizen Kane, above Taxi Driver, To Kill a Mockingbird, Apocalypse Now, above any film by Alfred Hitchcock as well. 
Well, no, that's not the best indicator for quality, the, the IMDb Top 250. So I looked into it a bit further and found that uh, Life is Beautiful has won three Oscars. Uh, one for the lead actor, for Roberto Benigni, uh, who also directed the film. Um, and it won Best Foreign Language Film that year as well, as well as being nominated for a further four awards, uh, one of which was Best Picture and Best Director. So, you know, it's quite quite highly regarded, as I say. But again, though, the Oscars are not always the best indicator of quality. Uh, so, Hello, Crash. Uh, what is? <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's precisely my point. It's not always a good indicator that the best picture nominated film, or a winner, even, is is actually a good film. Um, but what I definitely know, well, I say definitely know, what sometimes is, or can potentially be a good indicator of, of how good the film is going to be, uh, how about the fact then that it's actually the favourite film of James, our um, founder? of fail critics, uh, the godfather of fail critics in many ways. Um, it's his favourite film. And without meaning to be too patronising to James, I can see why he loves it. Um, I'm sure I remember him describing it at one point on the podcast uh, ages ago as uh, a raw uh, and emotional film. And I think that's fair enough. It is. It was made in 1997, um, but the story is set in, ni- in, in the 1930s in Italy, and it follows Guido, or Guido, I think it's pronounced, uh, who's a happy-go-lucky character. Uh, he falls in love, he becomes a father, and then during the Second World War, he's sent off to a concentration camp because he's Jewish, or of Jewish ancestry. And he's separated from his wife, who isn't Jewish, but ends up being sent to, to a concentration camp as well. Um, but they're separated, they're not in the same place. Um, but his son is sent with him, and he kind of hides his son in this concentration camp and invents this incredibly elaborate uh, ruse to protect his son's innocence. Um, makes him believe, makes his son believe that they're actually what they're doing, just playing the game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is quite amusing, actually, because, of the, because Guido is such a charismatic character and he, he plays a lot of things for laughs. And he's, he is played exceptionally well by Benini. Fully deserved his uh, his Oscar win for that performance. Uh, but of course, it's also harrowing in the way that stories about places like Auschwitz always are. You know, be, you see people being sent to gas chambers, uh, families being torn apart. You know, these callous German soldiers and all that. I mean, for me, it never got as affecting as something like um, Roman Polanski's The Pianist. That that I found quite disturbing, and also um, Art Spiegelman's comic masterpiece Mouse, you know. Um, but it's on a par with something like uh, Palaska, film from two thousand two, which is another Italian film uh, about Jewish people during World War Two. And I suppose another common comparison is the boy in the striped pajamas, you know, with the, the fact it's about a young kid as well. Um, but Life is Beautiful. It's a bet. It's it's a lot better than the boy in the striped pajamas. Um, it's got a strangely uplifting feel to it, as I suppose you might guess from the title of the film, um, you know, about life and, and the, you can find beauty in relationships between people, uh, even in the sort of grimmest and the darkest of times. Uh, whereas the boy in the striped pajamas just doesn't have that at all. And, you know, it's just really, really depressing because regardless of the innocence of youth that's displayed in that, it's just so dampy. Um, 
actually, as a kind of side note to that, I'm going off on a tangent a little bit. When my mum watched The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, she doesn't normally watch these types of films, so she, she phoned me afterwards and said, I've just seen an absolutely horrible film. Hey, it was so horrible, I've just put the DVD in the bin. <laughs> kind of, that's quite Next a train. <laughs> She hated it so much, she binned the DVD. Um, but anyway, yeah, so Life is Beautiful. Uh, it was quite good. Is it my favourite film ever? No, probably not. Can I see why it might be someone else's? Yes, definitely. Because it's a well-made film. It's very well-directed. Um, the acting in it is brilliant. Um, I'm, but at the same time, I'm not too bothered about the fact I've put it off for so long. You know, I must have paid to rent it about three times um, since I first heard about it. And I've just never gotten around to it before, before the actual rentals expired. So it's been sitting there for two months already as well from Muff Film. I wasn't that motivated to watch it, but I did enjoy it as much as you can you can enjoy a film like this. And also, as a final sort of comment, I'm sorry to James for only quite liking it. I said on Twitter I quite liked it, and he <laughs> he blew a gasket because he's a bit sick of me saying I quite like his favourite films now. So sorry, James, but I mean, I'm just, I did just quite like it. Okay. Uh, finally, for what we've been watching, the film I saw was Ocean's Eleven. Uh, haven't seen that. This is a 2001 um, version. Haven't seen it for a long time. It's on telly. I can't remember which channel it was on. Probably ITV7 or something like that. Um, <laughs> one of the four films they seem to have on circulation at the moment. But yeah, 2001. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago, does it? No. It seems, mm. doesn't seem like a film that was, was made, you know, 13, 14 years ago now. Um, Good bit of quick math. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, stars. A big cast, isn't it? Um, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Andy Garcia, Julia Roberts, Don Cheadle. So there's a lot of high caliber, a lot of Oscar nominations. Not for this film, but for, for other works they've done. Um, yeah, a, bit, a big cast. Um, it, it's, it's good, it's enjoyable. It's not, you know, I don't think anyone is, is putting in their, their best performance in this film by, by a long way. But it's certainly an enjoyable film. Uh, it's quite, it's very cool, very slick. Uh, looks very stylish. Obviously set in Vegas. <coughs> Excuse me, where, you know, so it's, uh, an intricate plot with a few twists along the way that some are predictable, some aren't predictable. And you can kind of even overlook, um, Don Cheadle's Cockney accent in the film, <laughs> which is just, oh, yeah, I don't know where he thinks no, that from. I don't know, I don't know, you've got a choice. Hire an actual Cockney, or don't give him a Cockney accent if he can't do one. And they've not done either. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Um, I, I heard that he, that Don Cheadle actually kind of did that himself because he wanted to differentiate himself from um, Sammy Davis Jr. in the original. So it was actually his idea. And, you know, possibly an ego thing. <laughs> Does that make any sense? I don't, I don't remember his accent being that bad. I mean, I remember thinking it's a bit non-specific. It's just a, some. It's obviously an American's impression of an English Cockney accent. I don't remember it being that bad, really. I mean, I can't. I'm not. I can't remember what year Snatch was. It's, I can't. Okay, fair enough. I can't remember what year Snatch was made in, but it's almost as Brad Pitt got to sit down and watch Snatch. Just do one of their voices. Do one of their voices. And it's just no, <laughs> definitely not. Um. Yeah, I really enjoy Ocean's Eleven. I don't think it's... A, a, it's not one of those films that's so bad it's good. It is genuinely a, a good, fun, 
uh, crime caper. Yeah. It's also got the scene where it's putting the gang together, and I always like a, f- a scene where you're getting the gang put together in any kind yeah. of film. Um, but then after Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve, and Thirteen, it kind of disappears up their own ass, doesn't it? Massively, yeah, with, with, with hologram things that Eddie is on, hologram jewels, or whatever and it was. and Julia Roberts playing the character in this film who looks like Julia Roberts, so has to pretend to be Julia Roberts. Oh with, yeah, with, in a hotel with Bruce. Yeah, Bruce. which yeah. just makes no sense <laughs> when you think about it. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it was a bit smug. I mean, you could you can tell in Ocean's Eleven that all the people involved are enjoying it. Which is fine because that makes for a good film at times when you can see all the cast are enjoying it and they've got a good relationship. They enjoyed it too much, I think, because then they kind of forced making 12 and 13 off their own backs, I think. They were really all keen to just get together and hang out again and make another film. Uh, they've got enough money, why can't you just get together and hang out again? Not make, not, but not <laughs> make the party. films. <laughs> yeah. Not doing anything. Not not they can get together and make money. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I suppose there's that to it. But yeah, so I mean, after Eleven, it went a bit downhill quite quickly, but Eleven was certainly a good film. Um, I think that's all there for what we've been watching. Up next, we have got a couple of new releases to review. Time to review a couple of new releases now. Uh, and Carol's going to start off with Hockney. Yeah, the latest in, in the series of art films this year. Art is big in the cinematic world. We've had, we've had Mr. Turner, and now we have Hockney, although uh, Hockney is actually a documentary, because luckily we still have David Hockney. Obviously, we don't have J.M.W. Turner with us anymore, because he's dead. But uh, David Hockney's still around, so we can make a, a documentary about him. Uh, so this essentially charts uh, Hockney's life, or pretty, pretty much um, his, his whole career, his whole life. Um, he's now in his 70s and he splits his time between Yorkshire and, and California. He's got a really nice looking house in California as well, it's like a bird's nest, it's amazing. But um, yeah, so it kind of looks at his, um, I, I want to say it looks at the, the evolution of his work, but it doesn't really, it kind of, it looks more as... Um, at his personal life, but at the same time, it's, it's a little bit sycophantic. It's a little bit, um, there's not really a lot of, of digging going on there. Um, because obviously they have to kind of keep him on side to, to, to get his, uh, to get his input. There's no narrative. It is just Hockney and, and various other people talking. And I have to, I, I read the, um, after I came out, I read the review of noted failed critics, uh, fan Peter Bradshaw. And um, and I have to say I, I pretty much agree with what with what he says in his review. It's you know it's it's pretty good, but it is ultimately it just kind of it, it's kind of glossy and it doesn't really scratch the surface of who he is, which is a shame because I think that David Hockney is a really really interesting guy. It does go into into depth about certain things. So um, obviously you get to the eighties and um, there's a there's a big section on uh, the AIDS crisis in the eighties and how it hit a lot of people that. that Hockney knew, um, and it kind of basically decimated his his group of friends because so many of them died from this disease. But um, you know, that, and that's like the one bit you feel really comes across with uh, with some sincerity in ways. You know, it's actually kind of painful to talk about. But yeah, on the whole, it's just uh, it, it's a little bit it was a little bit superficial to my liking, and I can understand why 
but I would have liked it to have gone a bit a bit further into his um, into his psyche. Basically, I, you know, I can imagine if someone made a film about Tracy Emin, they wouldn't let her get off quite as lightly with um, with, with some of the statements that that she makes. You know, there would be some actual kind of questioning behind them, and you know, you really want someone to question Hockney about certain things he did and certain pieces that he made and it never really never really came about um, which is it's a shame because yeah he, he's got such a long career behind him he's such an interesting person he went from like a bridling to New Yorkshire moved to New York and then moved to LA um, and you know he's, he's, he's still got his working working class northern accent which is just lovely because he's now turning his kind of jovial granddad type just kind of sitting in the corner telling telling stories about his uh, about about the wild 60s and everything but um yeah it's it's a shame really it just doesn't go into into as much into as much depth as it as it could do some people may argue that it's because his painting is kind of superficial as well i would disagree but this film doesn't give any ammo against that argument Okay, um, and on to um, the next new release then, which is uh, The Hunger Games, uh, Mocking Jay Part 1, seen by both me and Owen, um, continuation obviously of this franchise. Owen, have you? Se- I'm guessing you've seen both the previous efforts uh, in the series. Yeah, unfortunately <laughs> I have seen yeah. both of them. They're, 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 I think one of the most unfortunate things is they kind of, their success formed a whole series of these kind of tween, or not tween, slightly older, you know, teenage kind of adventure, rebellion, but like Divergent and The Maze and things like that. And there's just lots of that kind of thing coming out now. It's just kind of a bit tired already. Yeah. But anyway, um, I've seen the first two Hunger Games before this one. I just thought they were fine. They were okay. They were they were watchable, yet instantly forgettable. Um, but I by the sounds of it, you thought worse of them. I was thoroughly bored by the first one. The, it, was, it was a real slot. I was looking forward to it, because I remember it being one of the, the, the podcast reviews before I joined, and I remember listening to it before I joined Battle Critics. And I thought, actually, they've reviewed it. It seems a lot better than I thought it would, would be. And then when I actually... I, I think I rented it through Blinkbox. It might have been the first film I watched on Blinkbox. Um... I was really disappointed. I thought it was really dull, and it, d- despite it being like over two hours long, by the end of it, I didn't really feel like much had actually happened that I'd found that interesting. So I was quite disappointed, and then I got dragged along to see the second film by a friend of mine who really did like the first film as it happens, and just to sort of agree to meet up and go see a film with him. He, he really wanted to see The Hunger Games, so I ended up seeing the second one in the cinema. And I thought it was better than the first. It does a lot of the same things again, but with a few more gimmicks to make the actual Battle Royale light stuff more interesting. Um, but I, I, I ended up sort of watching half of it again at the weekend, because my wife obviously didn't see the second one. So she watched it whilst I went out halfway through the film to walk the dogs because I just couldn't I couldn't sit through it again. <laughs> I found it on the, on the second watch. It was it was worse. Did it, it was harder. It actively offended you in the first time. 
I yeah, uh, I just thought I can't, I can't put myself through that. I can't watch that again. <laughs> it's like two and a half hours. I'm not yeah. So I watched half of the second film again before going to see this one. And uh, this was like an effort for me to see the third film to see Mockingjay. I really had to go right. Someone on failed critics has got to see this film because we've got to review it. So I'll I'll put myself through it. So this was for, for you two, and I hope hope you both appreciate. I I do appreciate you taking one for the team, Owen. I took one for the team. <laughs> but so yeah. did Steve. So but did you enjoy the third? Yeah, so, yeah. Steve was seems like Steve was going to see it anyway. So. <laughs> It was all in vain. But did you like it at all, Steve? Or did you find it just okay again? Or it, it was slightly less than okay, but it's 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 all just kind of same thing, isn't it? I mean, I suppose in in Mockingjay, there's no kind of Hunger Games anymore. So you've not got kind of any low rent version of Battle Royale going on. Um, hmm. But yeah, so it's now kind of like a, a, a rebellion kind of film. You know the, the the districts against the capital and all that kind of yes. thing. It's just it's just part of it. Like an, it's just some of it annoys me because it's just so like kind of cliched or predictable or or boring. It doesn't challenge anyone. So I'm just guessing the books don't even challenge the readers in any way at all. If yeah, the, the first one's actually it. all right. The first one's not bad. They they do get worse. I, I am not in, at all impressed with the idea of splitting, splitting the third one into two uh, two films. I think that's completely unnecessary. Oh, it's, made, it's done for money. Profit. Sure, purely. Mm. It's why The Hobbit was made what? into three films. It's why um, The Last Harry Very Potter book was made into two films. Money, isn't it? But um, there, is enough, there is enough going on in The Last Harry Potter that you could sort of justify it. In uh, in Mockingjay, you just can't justify two films, or in The Hobbit as well, actually. You definitely can't justify three films being made out of The Hobbit. That's ridiculous. But, um, yeah. I, um, just on a side note before we move on, I rewatched the extended, well, this is the first watch of the extended Lord of the Rings films. I think I've talked about Fellowship of the Ring on here. Yeah. I watched that. But I rewatched all of the, the Lord of the Rings films now. I watched the animated film from the 70s. And then I rewatched both of the two Hobbit films after that as well, and I'm quite looking forward to the third Hobbit film. I'm really more excited about the Hobbit film than Jurassic World, which we've talked. About. I'm not not looking forward to it. Put it that way. Yeah, I know. I really, I find myself really enjoying them again, and I don't know why. I don't know why because I absolutely did not think they would be my kind of film. But I'm, yeah, well, I don't know. I don't. I haven't read the book, so I don't know how it's. Um, how much of it has been stretched out further than it needed yeah. to be, but yeah. But so I can clearly see with Hunger Games, this Mockingjay Part One. You're right. There is. It's interesting. It's more interesting to see the rebellion going on. You know, you've got Julianne Moore and Philip Seymour Hoffman, who, by the way, is clearly the best actor in this film. Stands out like Definitely. a short film above everybody mm. else. Um, and it's such a shame that that he's gone now. But you know. Such is life. Such is life. Yeah. Yeah. But such is life for everyone else but him then. Yeah. yeah. Um so <laughs> but he's he's really good in it. He stands out quite a lot. And Julianne Moore's alright. Um but I've heard people criticising her performance. I think she's I don't know what you felt, Steve, when you watched it, but I think the way she played it was meant to be not 
charismatic. She's not meant to be the call to arms prisoner. No. I don't know. And I don't know if that's what she's supposed to be like in the book. Do, do you remember in the book, Carol, if she's supposed to be this big charismatic president or if she actually recognises she doesn't really do big speeches very well? Um, she only really comes in in the third, in the third book and, and she just sort of like pops up out of nowhere. You're just like, oh, there's, right. a, there's a president, okay. And she's quite, yeah, she's, she's not really, um, I think she recognises that, that the kids are the future, etc. And she's kind of, um, she's willing them on from the sidelines, basically. Yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't really, like, she's not really the one to okay. kind of G them up. So if that is definitely the case then, um, I'll be perfectly honest, I thought she played that quite well, really, all things considered. Yeah, you factor um, that into it, I suppose she did play it quite yeah. well. There's one thing that, there's one, no, carry on. Sorry, I was going to say the, the problem is that you're relying then on only having people who have read the book watching the film. Um, and I found this to be a massive problem. I, I saw the first um, film and it kind of put me off the whole franchise, to be honest, because there were bits in there that didn't really make any sense unless you'd watched, unless you'd read the book. And I was thinking, well, this this is stupid because the book needs to stand on its own two feet. Um, like there's a, there's a bit with, um, like she befriends a younger girl, um, in the first one, the young girl ends up obviously dying. Um, but in the in the book, um, in the book, there's quite a long um, relationship, and it's all made out about how she reminds her of her sister, and and they're together for ages. But in the film, they're together for about five minutes, and then she dies. And it's just like, well, you know, and and then she's kind of doing everything in her memory from then on. But it doesn't make any sense in the film because she's literally known her for about ten seconds, and then and she gets I, I can't can't remember how she dies, but it, it's not it's not well. And, um, yeah, so it doesn't really make any sense in the, in the film. You're relying on people having read the books. And obviously a significant portion of people will have read the books, but you need to go beyond that. You need to actually have it make sense for people who haven't read the books as well. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt like with a lot of characters in The Hunger Games, you don't care about them. You can see that Jennifer Lawrence's character, Katniss, is meant to care about them, but... You think, well, that's just because she's supposed to be quite nice then, I suppose, and not because of any real connection to them uh, as, as actual things that are happening to, to enhance the story in any way. Yeah, yeah. But, but sure. like in this third film, in this third film there's a few characters that kind of pop up and they're nothing more than plot progression devices, to be honest, which is a waste. Yeah, it, it's really weird because in the third, I think it's in the third, but you just get a, a whole kind of cast of people just pop up out of nowhere and you kind of lose track of the third one's not particularly good. Um, and you kind of lose track of, of who everyone is and, you know, oh, okay, so why are we caring about this person? You literally just popped up. Oh, okay, they know them. Oh, that's fine. Um, yeah, and you sort of lose track of, of who everyone is and what they're actually doing and, and who they're fighting with and, and what their motivation is, etc. So that's not necessarily a fault of the film. It's just a fault of the source material. Of, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah perhaps, perhaps if in the film they should have tried to do something better with them. Then. Oh, yeah, or absolutely. Not include them. You know, they've got a choice of what to actually adapt from a novel. Yeah, or cut it down to one film and just have the meaningful stuff or in there. Cut it to one film and stop putting so much filler in it. Yeah, That would exactly. be the other thing to do. Yeah. But, I mean, overall, though, I thought the third film, it was... There were parts of it that were quite decent. Like I said, I did like this clash between the Rebellion and the Capitol. 
um, you know, all the rebellious districts trying to form a cohesive revolution, um, which was quite interesting to, to, to watch, I guess. Um, and the propaganda side of it as well, how the propaganda gets used, uh, you know, how they make Katniss into the Mockingjay, who's the leader of... In, in, in the, this bit's in the trailer as well, so people have seen this yeah. bit where it's like, oh, you have to find yourself another Mockingjay. It's like, what, what does that mean? And it's still like that in the film, like, what's a Mockingjay? I know that the Mockingjay, like, it's like, does it have any kind of power or emphasis or meaning? It's just like, all right. It's a symbol, I think, is the only thing, really, because of where she's from with the Mockingjays, and she has that little brooch that's basically used. That, that becomes the symbol of, yeah. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't think we can say much more on The Hunger Games uh, Mockingjay Part 1. Part 2 will be out probably next year, so I guess we were all really excited for that one. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The only other thing to, to mention about the Hunger Games actually is the song in it is apparently because there's a, there's a bit where Jennifer Lawrence's character she sings this thing about a hanging tree, um, which has now been released as a track I think and is in the top forty in the hit parade. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence's version. Yeah, so nothing that girl can't do. Keep uh, her bloody clothes on by the looks of it. I think we could have all predicted it would be Steve yeah. who would sink first. I wanted to it went away from the public eye <laughs> and now I brought it back, so. Press, that's what you asked uh, me. I just don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, that's the Hunger Games. Uh, before we finish up this week, just our recommendations for the week ahead. I'm going for a film I've not seen before, um, but with a title that you're just going to hear from me, it, it can't be bad. This is on uh, at 9 o'clock on Tuesday night. It's on Movies for Men, and it's called Disaster Zone, Volcano in New York. Now, if that's not a good film, I don't know what is. <laughs> I'll report um, back. Please do. This is going to be a brilliant podcast next week, I can tell. <laughs> Steve reviewing this thing about a volcano in and, the and under um, the skin and under the skin <laughs> that's going to be two polar opposite films for you right you now. never know they might be exactly the same oh what are you going for um, well it's kind of I feel a bit bad about recommending these films though because of slagging off Hunger Games for not having a very good story but and cheap characters but but Channel 5 on Sunday at 9pm, there's a double bill of The Expendables 2 and then Universal Soldier at uh, 11 o'clock, I think that was on. So there you go, there's a double bill of, of Van Damme films. He always comes in twos, apparently. Let's get two Van Dams together. So there you go. Expendables 2, where he plays a character called Villain, um, <laughs> who's obviously the bad guy. And Universal Soldier, where he's um, a super soldier, resurrected with sort of, robotic powers. Yeah, pretty good. Dolph Lundgren's in it as well. There you go. Is that not a recommendation for you? That's not a recommendation. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Can't go wrong with a bit of Dolph, can you? Exactly. And Carol? Um, I'm going to go for... We've all gone for different days this week. That's quite good. Um, I'm going to go for one on Wednesday 3rd, uh, uh, 20 past 11 at night, so you might have to stick the old TiVo on or insert your PVR uh, software here. 
Uh, but on film four at twenty past eleven on Wednesday is Stripes, which is if you haven't seen it, very very funny. Okay, uh, that's all for this week's podcast. Then, so thanks to everyone who's contributed and everyone who's listened. Uh, you can see more from the website at www.failcritics.com. And as I said, there'll be another podcast around about the same time next week.